welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We'll rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Oscar. In Oscar, Angelo snaps provolone, played by Sylvester Stallone, made a promise to his dying father to quit the gangster life and be an honest man. During his first day, while preparing for a meeting with bankers, he is bombarded with problems from his family and associates that truly tests his ability to leave that world behind. Screenplay by Michael Berry and Jim Mulholland, directed by John Landis, and released on April 26, 1991. Have you seen Oscar before? No, I have not. Me either. I had no idea what this movie was going to be about. I always had it in my mind that Oscar was like a drama. Like more of like a regarding Henry type of a drama. I I don't know why I thought that. But... I thought this was like another... Like Sylvester like Sloan, Mickey and like Blue Eyes or something, or oh. you know, like the whole nine yards or whole t- like you know those See, types. I didn't of even movies. think he was a gangster in this. Like I don't know. Like I must be confusing it with some other movie, but I've assumed it's like Sylvester Stallone playing like just a straight dramatical role. Oh. And him trying to like break away from the action. To guy. be dramatic, but yeah. Uh, I mean, he Rocky is a drama. Yeah, but it's an action movie. I don't know. And like it's also this like and basically his... Like he's trying to be in comedy and it, he doesn't work well with comedy because he's just like, that's not him. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I disagree. <laughs> I think he was fine in this. I don't have a problem well, like with... like this and Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. It's just like, what? He picks bad projects, but like in terms of being a comedic actor, I think he was fine. I, I didn't have a problem. I had more of a problem with Marissa Tomei in this movie than I did Sylvester Stallone. Okay. And, okay. The whole thing about this movie is that it's very over the top. It's like 1940s stage play captured on film where the actors are still pretending like it's a stage play that they have to play to the back of the house. And so everything's like really you know, big sweeping movements and, and mugging like, to the camera yeah. nonstop. The whole, like, comedy of errors and, like, the misunderstandings of things. It's... Okay, the, this was based off of a book that was written in the 50s, and then they did a French movie by the same name in the 60s. It's like 67 or something like that. Yes. Yeah. But I can imagine this movie, if it was in the 50s or 60s, I feel like it would have been funnier back then. 
Yeah. If that makes sense. It does, because basically all of the jokes and all the situations were essentially straight up stolen from other things from the 1940s and not updated to a modern audience. Like, everything you see here has been seen before. I don't think there's a, a single original joke in this entire movie. And it's all stuff that was 40, 50 years old at the time. I saw like a little bit of the trailer of the 1967 French movie, and that is set in the contemporary time period. Yeah, it's not about a gangster. Like, no, it's not. It, it's, um... And it looks I mean, like there's I'll a get lot of later. physical comedy in there, yeah, too. Yeah, it's giving me, like... Like, if they redid this movie in the U.S. around the same time, I'm imagining, like, you know, like, Mickey Rooney or something. And, like, Audrey Hepburn. I don't know. I'm thinking of those people in these roles to do that type of comedy. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't know enough about the thing. I just watched, like, a little snippet of, of the trailer. I didn't even watch the full trailer, but I just saw how different it was. And so, yeah, like, the U.S. adapted it. Yeah, these two writers. Like, 30 years later, which is... And then they just turned Weird. it into a completely different scenario about a gangster who has to go straight and, and not be... You can understand this a bunch of madcap situations yeah. where it's, it's all taking place in one morning of one day and a bunch of people visit the house of Angelo Snaps Provolone and everybody wants something of him and there's like this whole bunch of you know people who want to marry their daughters and people lying to people and you know a bunch of interweaving stories and then there's this situation with like uh, luggage money. and bags that yeah. get swapped and the people take the wrong bags and then they bring them back and then they take the wrong bags and get all that kind of stuff is happening and meanwhile he has to like bounce from room to room to room to talk to people and gets interrupted all the time and yeah and it's um i don't know why they had to bring the whole like mobster stuff into it or gangster because it was just like in the 30s like, yeah, it was set in the 30s. But it didn't have to be set in the 30s, is the thing. Yeah, you know, but like the... I'm wondering why. Like, they could have updated this where he's not... Like, it could have been, like, you know, Father of the Bride. You know how that's, like... It really reminded me a lot of Father of the Bride. More like the original Father of the Bride. Yeah. Than, than the remake. But that's what I'm saying. Like, they couldn't update it to the year 1991 they can make it um contemporary i guess maybe because of the whole subplot of like marriage and getting married before you even like actually like, date anybody like having a baby before well no just like okay well or i need to marry you off so go meet my daughter and then you're going to marry her in a few days like that whole concept yeah, is not very 1991 so that side of things, I guess. I don't know. They could, if they wanted to do this, they could have updated those whatever the times. I, I, don't, I, I have think, no idea. I feel like they wanted to match the snappiness of the plot, right? Because it's very fast moving, and it's very frenetic, and so they wanted to have it set in the forties, where you're used to the more the more stylized, frenetic, fast paced dialogue and like the snappy, quick witted whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like, it's... 
the most generic telegraph jokes you can imagine, like the recurring thing of, don't call me boss, sorry boss. Right, I mean, that's that's like... like, Five times they say that same fucking joke. That's like something you see in Looney Tunes. I imagine Bugs Bunny and, like, Elmer Fudd doing it. I have no... Yeah. (laughs) But that's very, like, 50s, like, that's humor that was funny, like, before 1991, probably, like, 30, 40 years before 1991 that was funny. Exactly. But that's where they pulled all the material from. Yeah, that's what I'm like, update the humor, but I don't know how. <laughs> if you're going to make this funny, then don't use jokes from like a hundred years ago or something. It's so weird. And the, I think the, the sequence that really bothers me the most in this whole thing is, okay, so we're talking about how fast paced it is. But like, honestly, a lot of the joke telling is very poorly paced and slow and drawn out the best example of this is that because he's trying to go straight he doesn't want any weapons in the house so he keeps taking guns away from people there's this one part where he's talking to connie played by Chaz palmentary and he's you know basically saying give me all your weapons and so it's like this two minute silent sequence of him of yeah, Chaz pulling out... out one weapon yeah and then, okay, so there's a shot of him pulling out the weapon, and then there's a shot of Chaz, like, reacting, like, what you gonna do? And then there's a shot of Sylvester Stallone being angry, and then there's a shot of it being put on the table. Over and over and over again, those four shots in sequence yeah. for, like, two minutes as he pulls out more and more weapons. And it's not funny. It's not building to anything like, yes, the it's weapons just, become more outlandish. Yeah, the weapons but are like. Fuck, I wanted to just like escape that. <laughs> I mean, I think that was. I'm just going to repeat myself. I think that scene is funny if it was in a Looney Tunes cartoon. Because it has been in Looney Tunes cartoons. That's my whole point, yeah. too. It's like all of this stuff was just stolen from other shit. I don't think there's an original joke in here. Yeah. Like, we've seen that type of thing over and over and over again. And the fact that it's, like, completely silent. You Like, you don't even have, like, the Oompa score to tell you <laughs> that it's a comedy in that moment. Or, yeah, it's just, like, him bringing out, like, a bomb, uh, a bottle There's of like poison. There's, like, a mace. Yeah, a ma- Like, all these things that would be impossible to hide on yourself. And he's like, well, what about this thing? Yeah. Sylvester's one's like... And then there's like a point where he's eating like a drumstick or something. Yeah, he wants to shoot somebody and so he like has like a chicken leg in his hand. Because that's the only weapon left in the house or whatever. Mm -hmm. I I don't like it. I, I, I think I like Chaz Palminteri. Like him... He plays the doofus well. He does... And, and, I, and, I like, well. and I like, and I like the way that movie. that Peter Reigert played Aldo, who's like the butler, I guess, so mm. to speak. He's like the right hand man. He's you know, also everyone's a former gangster at this point, right? And so yeah, they they all have to be kind of like regular straight men, and it's one month after. Uh, Angelo promised his dying father to be like, okay, I'm not going to be a gangster anymore. Yeah. So this is like day one of him trying. Yeah. <laughs> it, sh- it should be like one year later. I don't know why they did one month, but whatever. But like, 
It should have his day one should have been the day after his father died. And yeah, it should have been arrangements like, to close some of this stuff off. I guess. But, close loopholes, whatever. I don't know. There might have been something in that opening scene. I was just mad at the opening scene too. It was really like Kirk Douglas playing like an old Italian man. <laughs> With the with the accent, yeah, the Mamma Mia type of a yeah, it was over spicy meatball type of a delivery. Yeah, it was too much. They they couldn't find an a real old Italian man. I think they just wanted to bring in like star power wherever they possibly could in this movie. And because okay, you have Kirk Douglas, right? Oscar nominations. Yeah, but it's like who's. <sighs> I guess in the 90s people would know, but I would be like, who the fuck is Kirk Douglas? If I'm, if, I mean, as a kid, like, this I don't know this it. This isn't meant for kids. I know. <laughs> Even though, like, the humor should only appeal to kids who have never seen these jokes before. Yeah. But yeah, I mean... But even before it, the movie starts with, like, this claymation, like... No, that's right after the opening sequence. Oh, okay. So then... That's that's after Kirk Douglas slaps him one more time after he died. He wakes up from being dead to slap Angelo one one more time time. and then dies again. And then Angelo mugs and looks at the fucking camera, which I hate. And I feel like we've seen that happen, like, ten times in 1991 movies now. I think that was... A thing like and trying to break the fourth wall, and it's never, almost, almost never effective. That's a terrible introduction to the movie. But not, yeah. un- not unless you're like Ferris Bueller or something. <laughs> Where you're actively talking to the camera. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> yes, but yeah, then the claymation. The claymation singing of the Figaro song. I was like, why? Like it's cool. I, I enjoy creative credits. But, but why? But yeah, exactly. Like that never. Fa- like, there's never claymation again, right? There's no. Yeah. The, Figaro is prominent in the movie throughout the entire thing. That's sort of like. I don't know. That's just that's, because that's it's almost like, like indicating that the humor is happening, in a way. That's um, just like. That's like, a different. It's from a play, so it's like. I don't know. I don't know why. They just played it because that's like a song that you would hear at like Olive Garden or something. <laughs> so you're it's like... It's an Italian song. Yeah, and it's a, it's an Italian song and this movie is supposed to be Italian? But, but yeah, well, because these people are Italian, even though they live in where? L.A.? I don't where know. do they live? I don't know. I don't think they said... It's just, he lives in a really nice house. Well, yeah, because he's somewhere. He's like a mob boss. But yeah, there's this claymation figure. It's just the claymation, just the one claymation figure just singing off to the side as the credits play on the, on the curtain. Yeah. And nothing else happens. It's not like there's another play that plays out beneath things or anything. It's, it's like, why? Why? Yeah, that's why I was like... And it's the whole song. Yeah, it's not... It drags. The pacing in this movie is terrible. It's like six minutes in. I was like, is this going to be the whole movie? Like, what's going on? Like, they could have had like a mini chase thing of like cops and robbers or something. Or like, they could have showed him... Because there's that subplot of like the cops watching them across the street and stuff. So they could have had like a little cat and mouse thing going on. They could have played the song... Yeah, they could have played the song with the claymation Figaro guy singing 
And then you see, like, Sylvester Stallone getting ready for the day or something like that. And then you see the cops setting up across the street. Like, all the setup for this movie. Because it, it just... After that song is done, it goes one month later. Yeah. And then we just see Sylvester Stallone, like, in his mansion preparing for this meeting. Like, he's eating breakfast, and that's when all of a sudden his accountant comes in. Yeah, well, yeah, the accountant wakes him up before he's supposed to get up. He wakes him up early, and you never do that, I guess. They make a big deal about how you never do that, and, like, gives a shit. Anyway, everything's a matter of life and death. That's another, like, recurring joke is that everyone says, hey, you need to talk, get him to talk to me because it's a matter of life and death. Like, mm-hmm. just the fact that they say that is a recurring joke. So there you go. That's that's the level of humor you're dealing with. And the whole thing is, like, yeah, the accountant comes by and he's like, I want to ask for a raise. And why do I want to ask for a raise? Because I need to prove that I'm worth enough to marry this girl, blah, blah, blah. And it ends up being, like, his daughter that he's in love with. And he also talks about how he embezzled, like, $50,000 and how he was going to return that money to him when... Once they're married, married, yeah. And all this other kind of stuff. And you can see how it kind of like starts to unravel from there because we later learn that, I don't know, he goes to his daughter, played by Marissa Tomei, who's in her mid to late 20s, playing an 18 year old girl. Yeah, she's playing, because I was like, how old is she supposed to be in this? She's supposed to be 18. Yeah, later on in the movie, he finally says, my 18-year-old daughter. So I was like, 18? Because she seems like she's just like a very spoiled, like, 24-year-old, maybe. Yeah, just like super sheltered. But yeah, like, in real life at this time, she's like 27-ish years old. They could have... They could have had... And this is like one of her first roles. It's not like they brought her in because of her star power. Yeah. And they could have had... A literal 18-year-old yes. playing her. <laughs> I mean... I mean, hell, the, the fake daughter, Teresa, looks younger than... Yeah. ...than Marissa Tomei. Yes. But she's... I, I, I hate to say it, Teresa was my least favorite actress. She seemed like she was reading off the cue cards the whole goddamn time. So in terms of... But, I mean, Tomei wasn't also... She was, like, so over It was the just top. over the top, but I think I'm maybe I'm sure that's, that's what Landis told her to do. Yeah, so I feel like that's not her fault. <laughs> I don't know. But she's playing yeah. this over-the-top, um, spoiled, sheltered, rich girl. And she's doing this whiny baby I don't want type thing like I want to see the world and stuff like that and fake crying and temper tantrums nonstop. right yeah which is something that I would think is funny in a cartoon but yeah, we're noticing a pattern like... between this and Hudson Hawk of like trying to turn cartoons into live action scenarios just doesn't translate very well mm-hmm. but anyway he goes to confront the daughter who is Lisa um Marisa Tomei's character is Lisa and she confesses that yeah I've been seeing this person off on the side and she thinks her way out of this whole situation is to claim that she's pregnant to force 
the marriage to happen because Angelo doesn't want it to happen. And so, like, okay, I can I can get married and then leave and see the world if I say I'm pregnant because then he'll force me to get married to this guy uh-huh. and then I'll be able to leave the house. So, but she's not really pregnant. Yeah, well, th- we should, like, the their uh, housekeeper. Nora. Yeah, Nora. Well, throughout the morning, she's like, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. It's a matter of life and death. Yes. And he's just brushing her off the entire time. So she's getting frustrated. So when Lisa's frustrated talking to the already frustrated Nora, Nora's like, well, why don't you just say you're pregnant? And that's when Lisa's like, oh, okay. Yeah, because you'll either get sent off to the convent. Yeah, where you can escape or whatever. Or you'll get forced to marry. Or he'll force you to marry him. Yeah. Meanwhile, Nora is is wanting to talk to him because she wants to quit because she's getting married to this guy that um, that Angelo wanted... wanted Lisa to marry. Yes. So yeah, but he was. We never see the main, guy. Bruce yeah, we Underwood. don't see him. But mainly, it's like a setup marriage. All because, kinds of arranged marriages. Yeah, because he's also rich, so you have to marry a rich guy to you know fit your lifestyle. Yeah. Even though her boyfriend, who is Oscar, the name of this movie. <laughs> yeah, her real boyfriend is Oscar. Yeah, her is he? Not, not he the like, accountant. The he accountant went, is Anthony. Yeah, he went off to the army. Yeah, the war. But she didn't know that. She was like, he's been ghosting me, basically. Like, I haven't heard from him in however many months or something like that. Mm. And so there's that whole mix-up. Angelo was like, well, he just came by earlier today to ask your hand in marriage, talking about the... Anthony guy, not, you know, so she's thinking Oscar wants to marry her and whatever, you know, all these miscommunications and yeah. whatever the hell. <laughs> and it's just a lot of them, like, a lot of Angelo always asking his people, <laughs> his mob people to be like, yeah, bring him back. Bring Anthony back. And keep him in this room. And then, you know, Teresa arrives. Says, you know, I've been... I need to talk to you. And then I've been lying to this guy, Anthony, that I was your daughter. And then he's like, okay, keep her in this room. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he it's he's talking to Connie. He's just has, trying to juggle all these different things. Yeah, in different rooms. And Connie, Chaz, Palminteri, I mean, Angelo's telling him, like, watch that door and make sure they don't leave, but they do? <laughs> yeah, or, like, watch this bag, and he's yeah. like, okay, I'll, you know, like, don't let your eyes off of it, yeah. but guess what happens? The bag still gets switched underneath his nose in different ways. And then, you know, he has these two brothers... <laughs> The yeah, Fanucci guys. The Fanucci's, the Taylors. Yeah, he comes over. They come over because they're gonna fit him for a new suit, and um, yeah, there's the whole, like a whole mix-up with that. 
the yeah the whole thing is like he's he has a meeting with bankers at noon to basically be on the board of a bank to have his first like legitimate job yeah um the bankers are not happy about it and like it's it's a big like cohort of a bunch of people who are villains in other movies from like landis i don't know mm-hmm. <laughs> you have like the epa guy from ghostbusters in there and you have like the the shitty guy from animal house in there too mm-hmm. stuff like that so anyway um i know ghostbusters isn't landis but you get the idea um so they don't even want him there and they're they're talking about the whole thing too but anyway so yeah they have the finucci's martin ferrero and harry Shearer. it's the finucci brothers and so they're all just kind of like pushed off to the side and at one point anthony uses them as like a as a plot device as well to claim that they're assassins and you know get anthony to do what he's not wanting to do like well if you don't do that you see those finucci's they're actually one of them they're like the most deadly assassins right in the world you don't want to mess with them and then you know they have the conversation where there's like a big mix-up and stuff blah 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 and i thought this movie was gonna become a musical because that (laughs) part where they start playing the piano that's really far in that'd be a long well i was like oh no are they gonna break into song all of a sudden (laughs) but there there was even a part where when Angelo is talking to Lisa, and it looks as if they're both gonna like break out into song too. Hmm. When he confronts her, there's like this song that all of a sudden, like the score, like all of a sudden changes, and they stop and look at each other for like a few seconds, and I'm like, oh no, they're gonna break <laughs> out into a song, and I was gonna be mad if yeah. they did. It didn't, though. It didn't, but, like, that whole piano thing was weird. Yeah, he, Anthony's just playing the piano to kill time, and the Finucci's come in on either side of him and also start playing and, you know, like, waggling their fingers in the air. It's like a dance while they play with one hand. and Yeah. The, and then it's like, oh, no, you're the assassins type of a reaction. Right. And, oh, no, you, I shouldn't be interacting with you guys. And they're like, oh, like the whole misunderstanding thing. Oh, no, 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 look, we're, look at our work. But they show a picture of, they, they mentioned the Valentine's Day Massacre a couple of times. Yeah, they, like, laugh about, oh, remember what we did last Valentine's Day? And they all laugh about it. Right. And... The Finucci brothers shows Anthony a picture, like, look at our work. And it's just, like, a guy who died at, during that massacre on the ground. And he's freaked out. And they're like, yeah, we did that. As in, we made his we suit. We made that suit, yeah. Like, but, we're getting a lot of, we're getting a lot of uh, business because, because of that. people saw our, our work in the paper. Right, and then Anthony's, whatever, scared. He thinks they're going to kill him. Yeah. But that's like, yeah, the whole movie is like him thinking the Finucci brothers are out to get him because Angelo supposedly put a hit on him or something, whatever. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's there's just so many different like cat and mouse things because, yeah, Teresa's like the fake daughter and Anthony thinks it's the real daughter. And so, like, you know, he's trying to like... Um, Angelo is trying to use that as a way to like con... Anthony out of the money that is actually his. 
And there's yeah. like this stupid spot where they exchange like fifty thousand dollars in cash for the jewels, but both of them are actually his. Yeah, and the whole bag switch thing from there's a lot of bag switches and also from his uh, housekeeper that quits, and then also has the exact same bag. Right, so she's it's like her and dirty her, laundry or whatever. Yeah, her underwear only, and so there's a couple of different reveals where you know it dumps the bag onto the table, expecting to see jewels or cash, but it's actually underwear and ha ha ha. Right, and uh, so she quits that morning, and then later in the day, they're like, "Oh, we're gonna interview new housekeepers." Right, because the new housekeeper, Roxy. Or Roxanne, I guess. Mm-hmm. Comes in. This is later in the day, but comes in, and then Angelo sees her, and he's like, "Roxy, like, like they they were lovers like twenty years ago or yeah, something." Yeah, he doesn't fully recognize her at first, but she uh, eventually. So they're like catching up, and she's like, "Yeah." Well, Angelo's like, "Whatever happened to you?" And she's like, "Yeah, I got." pregnant and that she went to go to the convent yeah she had to go and she's like i had a baby and then he's like you had a baby and you know it turns out that her baby is Teresa, and Teresa is really his daughter yep so we we kind of skipped over one character who is actually my favorite character in the okay dr pool played by tim curry right like he comes in midway and this is like he's a, just there to give elocution lessons. Yeah, this is like my fair. This is where I was thinking about like older movies because this is like My Fair Lady, where teaching her how to say the the rains in Spain fall mainly on the plain. I was like, do they did they have like linguistics people back then to teach people how to enunciate? Yeah, and speak. Yeah. Because that's what he is. Yeah. Um, but he's also, yeah, like he's a student of language, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, like, he's there because obviously it's like a joke on Stallone in general, I think. And I, I know that Stallone wasn't the first choice for this movie, right? It was actually supposed to be Al Pacino. They shot for like a couple of days and then he had to drop out. Al? Al Pacino did. He's probably like fuck this i think there's like some injury or something else okay um or like he had like a throat issue or something like that he couldn't do it anymore and so they brought in stallone um so i don't know how dr pool like maybe they just added whatever it definitely seems like dr pool is partly there to exist as a joke on stallone's mumbling Oh, so he wasn't going to be there if Al Pacino did it? I don't know. I, I think he has to be. I think the character has to be. Maybe his It would have been a different doctor? would have been different. Yeah, maybe he would have just like been... Like a doctor because... A doctor to like look to see if she's actually pregnant type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That's maybe. what I thought he was going to be. Like they called a doctor on to his house to confirm that she's pregnant. Yeah, I, I don't have any information about that. But I'm, I'm just saying that it seems like part of the joke here is, look at this, we know Stallone's a mush mouth. We're going to use this Dr. Poole character to comment on that. 
um, but brilliantly played by Tim Curry, who's like his over the top is the right type of over the top. Like he's mm, well, yeah, I think well, he's like a good actor. <laughs> yeah, I mean yes, he's a strong actor. Yeah. <laughs> but you have other strong actors yeah. in there too. Like Marissa Tomei is not a bad actress. Right, she has an Oscar for My Cousin Minnie. She has mm-hmm. nominations for In the Bedroom and The Wrestler. You know, like she, she knows what she's doing. Um, generally speaking, but this was one of her first roles. Tim Curry, yeah, like he, he plays with his eyes more so than with his entire body, which I think helps. And he has that very expressive mouth uh, that he can do a lot with and does a lot of you know, the talking verbally and non so anyway like it's just really interesting to see him get just super into the lesson that he's doing with with angelo and then later on when he's introduced to lisa because angelo wants lisa to marry anthony at some point and then anthony's like no we don't get along so hey dr pool i heard that lisa loves you and whatever and so like I think Anthony likes tries to set them up and it actually like works and they he, get into each other. He mentions that he has traveled before and she's like, You where have you been? Yeah. Like they bond And on... then they bond over like their disdain over their parents. Yeah. And how they want to get away. But anyway, I he was my favorite character. I think Anthony, played by Vincent Spano, was actually one of the better actors in the movie as well. But I also like Stallone's performance. But anyway, so the reason I bring that up is because that means that Lisa does have a husband because they've been like bouncing through like three or four different people for her throughout mm-hmm. the movie. Um, and then Anthony gets to actually be with Teresa at the end because it is His daughter. Angelo's daughter, and so like all this type of stuff like about him him stealing like a hundred thousand dollars is kind of water on the bridge because you're in the family now. Yeah, and, you know, at the end of the movie, it shows both of his daughters getting married to who they want to marry. And at the very end, Oscar, the boyfriend of Lisa, is, like, appears from war or whatever and tries to stop it. But then Angelo's like, no, get him out of here. Right. And that's pretty much the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. But yeah, the one thing we didn't talk about is like the like wrap the up whole, of the police. Yeah, with the cops, because throughout this entire movie, you have two cops across the street seeing all these people coming in and out of his house, and they're like, "What's he? What business is he doing?" Type of thing. Like uh, they're trying three to... if you're counting Kurtwood Smith as well. So there's two, and then Kurtwood Smith comes through later on, mm. and he's he's there to, you know, be the leader of the thing, and he tries to bust it up. So like there's they're focusing whole... on the bags going in and out of the house like oh yeah. that must be the thing yeah there there's that whole misunderstanding and lack of communication I have no idea and there's yeah. like another subplot of like the vendettis who's like a rival mob but it's so minuscule that it's not even yeah they anything. all show up near the end yeah and it's like this whole stand down type when the of the bankers are actually at the meeting and the cops think the bankers are gangsters. Yeah. And yeah. Like, was... Oh, okay. Well, you're all clean, but ah, the bag. And he goes to get the bag and he dumps it out. And, and it, it's, and it's the was switched for the laundry yeah. again. And yeah. ha ha ha. Right. 
The end. The end. <laughs> it's so weird to have a movie that's paced so fast, but also slow to a crawl so often. And I think it's just because that there's just nothing that interesting that's happening here. And you have such a large cast of characters. Most of them are played by decent actors. We didn't even talk about Orn Ornella Muti, who played Sophia, the wife. Because she's just there to kind of she's just react like, to shit. Yeah, she's like, oh, she's pregnant? Wait, like, that's who? Just... Our other daughter? Yeah. When did we have another daughter? Like, yeah. obviously, you didn't. But like, and who is this? Yeah, that's just Dr. her going, cool. huh? Yeah. Like her going, reacting to things, the entire like over the top reacting to things. And there's like five other side gangsters who are just like doing stuff in the kitchen and whatever. It's like e e it's, it's unnecessary. Yeah, like the one guy I for was that Aldo, know. where he's like, "Let me show you the door," and he basically just like points at it. Yeah, he's like, "Let me show you the door." There's the door. There it is. Yeah, like he's a good act. Like I liked his performance in this, but it's definitely just like him mimicking a good 1940s gangster right. performance. But yeah, Peter Reigert in in this is also really good, um, but just a terrible script to work off of. It's it's a lot different than what I expected because I was expecting like a high drama type of a scenario and that is far removed from what I actually got. <laughs> yeah, I think that's I think that's basically everything. You know, we don't have to get into the weeds of this. I will say also that the set dressing is awesome in this. Like, it, you know, pretty much the entire movie takes place in the in this one mansion, mm -hmm. and the place looks incredible. So, like, the set designers did a fantastic job, and the costumes and everything. Yeah, the costuming because really I was I liked all the clothes and like the makeup that Marissa Tomei's character was. Wearing. Yeah, and like Even... Sophia has like four different outfit changes throughout like this two hour span of time in the yeah, movie, which is then... weird. Even her wedding dress, I really liked. It was very 1930s looking because she has like this cute, I don't know. All right, so we, do you want to talk more about like the play and the differences in, in that? All right, well, yeah, this is like my, it's not a huge pop culture-y moment, but it's based off of a book written by a French actor slash playwright screenwriter director his name is Claude Manger and the book was written in 1958 and then they made the he was the screenwriter for the 1967 movie Oscar that was directed by Edward Eduard Molinaro and it starred I don't it starred Louis de Funès, who was also... They made it into a play, and that actor was also in that play from 1959 until 1972. So he played this role, and they wow. just made the movie... Well, it, yeah, it was the play first, then the movie, and then play until 1972. Huh. So I guess it, I mean, it has done well in the 50s and 60s, which I think would be, it, that I would have been interested in that because it probably was funny, like, 
Well, also, I 50, think 60 years ago. Some of the stuff that I didn't like was how they handled the gangster stuff, because, again, it's stuff that we've seen a million times. If it's set in, like, contemporary France, this they might have a much different... Well, there is no gangster... The, That's what the I'm story has no... It's about a very rich man who... It's the same thing where his accountant comes to his door and is like, hey, I'm asking for a raise because I'm in love with this woman who happens... And then the whole daughter... Like, the story is pretty much the same except you take out all the gangster stuff. So all these, like, you know, comedy of errors things is happening. And then, you know, the doctor is not actually a doctor. He's like a masseuse. Okay. So, but everything is pretty much the same. The whole mix-up with the bags and then his daughter is saying that she's pregnant just to get out of her overbearing parents and be with her boyfriend whose name is Oscar. Mm-hmm. And he's the chauffeur. Right. Which he, he was, was in this too. He was the chauffeur in he this. He was the I- chauffeur, but he was fired prior to be it being known that he was with Lisa. Yeah, and, and then that's when he, when he went army. off to the army. But in this one, he is the chauffeur. Yeah, that movie did well in the 60s in France. But, this movie um, did not. Do well. This movie did not do well, and they also call it. It's like um, the French remake. So the this Oscar, the nineteen ninety nine nineteen ninety one one, is called the mess in the bag in France. Mm. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah, because you're not gonna call it Oscar, like. Again, because then they're going to think it's the French movie. But yeah, this movie did not... It did better than Hudson Hawk, though. It made more money and it lost more off of its initial budget. Hudson Hawk was a huge flop, which I think cost over $100 This one only cost 35 but made 23 not as big of a flop, but still not great. In terms of awards, not a whole lot. Just on the Razzie side of things, nominated for Worst Actor for Sylvester Stallone, Supporting Actress for Mr. Tomei, and Director for John Landis, but didn't win any of those three. Uh, if we're talking about cast and crew, John Landis is Emmy winner for Mr. Warmth, the Don Rickles Project. Also Saturn nominated for An American Werewolf in London, Image Award winner for Coming to America, Razzie nominations for Beverly Hills Cop 2 and The Stupids, in 1991, he also did the black or white video for Michael Jackson. And he's also done things like Animal House, which I do not like, um, also because of pacing issues, Kentucky Fried Movie, Blues Brothers, and Trading Places. The writers, Michael Berry and Jim Mulholland, basically shared the same credits. They're Emmy-nominated 20 times over for both writing for Johnny Carson and David Letterman over the years. And then they've also written movies such as Amazon Women on the Moon and Bad Boys. And Jim Mulholland is Oscar in this movie. So he's the cameo at the end, carried away. Sylvester Stallone is Angelo Snaps Provolone because he snaps at people to tell them to do stuff like twice in the movie. So he gets a nickname. Oscar nominated for writing and for acting in Rocky. Also uh, for acting in Creed. Golden Globe winner for Creed. 
Razzie Award winner for Rhinestone, Rambo 2, Rocky 4, Rambo 3, Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, The Specialist, Spy Kids 3, and a lot more nominations that I'm not mentioning. Uh, he also won the Razzie Award for the worst actor of the 80s, as well as the worst actor of the century. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but he did not win for this this movie. He got his start in Death Race 2000, and he's also done a bunch of action movies like Demolition Man and whatever. Uh, Marissa Tomei is Lisa Provolone, Oscar winner for My Cousin Vinny, like we talked about. Uh, we also talked about her nominations. Saturn nominations for Spider-Man No Way Home. Spirit nominated for Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. MTV Movie Award winner for Best Kiss for Untamed Heart and for Best Breakthrough Performance in My Cousin Vinny. She's in the 1991 movie Zandalee. And before this, she was in a couple of different things, such as the movie Flamingo Kid, As the World Turns, and also A Different World. She had uh, yeah. several episodes in A Different World. Peter Reigart, Oscar nominated for a live-action short that he directed called By Courier. Emmy nominated for acting in Barbarians at the Gate. He was also in Animal House back in the day and uh, The Mask. And in 1991, he's in Object of Beauty, The Runestone, and Local Hero. Chaz Palminteri, Oscar nominated and Spirit Award winner for Bullets Over Broadway. And uh, he also wrote The Bronx Tale, the play and the screenplay version, which he acted in. Um, He's also been in movies like Jade, Usual Suspects, and Rizzoli and Isles, where he played Frank Rizzoli. <laughs> okay. Uh, Donna Michi's in here. Again, they just kind of like threw a bunch of like classic actors in this well, thing. Yeah, because like Harry Shearer, I was like... Harry Shearer is in there, yeah, as one of the Finucci's. Obviously, Emmy Award winner from Simpsons and then Spinal Tap and all these other things that he's done in the past. Um, and then Martin Ferrero also has been in a few things. Like, he's like the lawyer who gets eaten in the toilet in Jurassic Park. <laughs> he's oh, like, yeah. been in several episodes of Miami Vice and Gung Ho. Um, but yeah, Don Demichi's in here as Father Clemente for a little bit. He's an Oscar winner for Cocoon. You have Yvonne DiCarlo in there as Aunt Rosa at the beginning and also at the very end. Um, she was Lily Munster as well as like a very, you know, prominent actress in, in the 50s as well. Um, it, it, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting. Ornella Muti, she didn't have a whole lot of U.S. roles as Sofia Provolone, Italian Golden Globe winner for Nessuno e Perfetto. I'm gonna butcher these names. Stregati, Me and My Sister, and she also has a career Golden Globe, Italy, from 2007. Donatello nominations for Tales of the Ordinary Madness and The Sparrows Fluttering. She's also been in things like Flash Gordon. The Most Beautiful Wife, and then in 1991, she's also in Especially on Sunday. So very popular, prominent Italian actress who came over here, unfortunately, to do this. <laughs> so, um, and then uh, we have Trem Curry as Dr. Poole, like we talked about, Emmy nominated for Tales from the Crypt, daytime Emmy nominations for Mighty Max, and also a winner for Peter Pan and the Pirates, because he has a very, pro he has so much more of a voice actor career than I realized. Like, his voice acting credits are much longer than his, like... Acting. His, his live-action stuff. He also has a Grammy nomination for a spoken world al word album for a Lemony Snicket thing that he did. Razzie nominated for Congo. Best known probably for things like Rocky Horror Picture Show, Clue, and It. But he's also done voice acting work, like I said, for like Voltron, Jumanji, Ariel Monsters, uh, 
Captain Planet, Legend of Prince Valiant, and The Wild Thornberries is probably his most popular role as he plays the father in, in that TV show. And then Kirk Douglas is Eduardo Provolone, who has the terrible opening sequence, <laughs> Oscar nominated for The Champion, Bad and Beautiful, and Lust for Life, a winner of an honorary award back in 1996. Um, and yeah, he's also has a Razzie nomination for the movie called Saturn 3, but best known for things like Spartacus, Paths of Glory, Ace in the Hole. So, and he passed away at the ripe old age of 101 not too long ago, a few years back. I thought he was 103. Oh, maybe he was 103. I actually didn't write <laughs> I that down. He was like over 100. He was over 100. That's yeah, all. That's, but in that's 2020, the most yeah. So, yeah, a big cast, a big, huge cast. And like I said, we didn't even really talk about. Vincent Spano. He's going to be in City of Hope, so we can talk about him more then. Um, so, yeah, there's huge cast, a bunch of big names. Um, okay, I will say that this movie was released on a Friday, and it was the same date as Talent for the Game. So oh, would you watch... That's rough. What would you watch, Talent for the Game or Oscar? If I knew nothing about either one going in... Yeah. Then I would have wanted to watch the baseball movie, Talent for the Game. Okay. I wouldn't even know. <laughs> like, if if my mom's like, let's go to the movies. You want to watch this baseball movie or this movie with Sylvester Stallone? <laughs> yeah. I probably would pick this one. Like, if, if you're asking me now that I've seen both of them, yeah, which now one that I want to seen... watch again, yeah. I would probably rather watch Oscar. Yeah, me too. But that's virtually the only time I would pick this as something to watch again is if you're offering me the choice between this and something worse than this. Yeah. There's, like, I don't know. We can get into rankings and ratings probably. Are, are we done? Or did you have well, more Well, it's just a, a couple of things. When I was reading the reviews on this, I was... I was trying to find, like, why do people like it? Yeah, because <laughs> even even uh, Siskel and Ebert gave it two thumbs up. And the quote is that the film includes truly funny work by enormously talented supporting players. I mean, true, but... The supporting actors are good. Yeah, but... But the jokes are Two aren't. thumbs up? <laughs> and they gave it a three out of four stars. I was trying to find written reviews and I didn't see any. And but I, I did not watch the actual like segment on TV because I figured it wouldn't give me enough info. And um, I even went on, you know, because on IMDb, the reviews are, <laughs> there's people who are, you know. Those... Oh, yeah, there's people. Every movie is someone's favorite movie. Yeah. And the, like, even on when I went on Letterboxd, it has a lot of fours and fives. And I was like, who are you? Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people are saying, this is my favorite movie. And then there was another... There's got to be a nostalgia. Review. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, maybe you... Because, like, how I am with, like, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead or something. Like, I grew... Or I don't even know. Like, I'm trying... Or, like, Drop Dead Fred. But, yeah, I'm I mean, trying but to think like of movies like that I like. things about those. Oh, I'm trying to is... think of a movie that I liked when I was... Like, I was obsessed with as a kid. And it's like, oh, I like it now because... I liked it as a kid, and it brings back, like, nostalgia or whatever. I mean, I can understand as a kid but liking people... this more because, again, you're not as familiar with some of the jokes, and you have people running from room to room in silly situations with a bunch of misunderstandings. 
and it's like kind of like you said like father of the bride or even kind of clue like where you're yeah. like running from room to room trying to like people saying yeah that this is their favorite movie it just blows my mind and then there's another review that i saw in it's called cinema retro magazine this was from 2020 and they wrote that oscar was a box office flop and critics attacked it across the board however it has aged very well and i found it to be delightful how did it age well It, it it got worse like, we've talked multiple times on this podcast about how comedy is, is difficult to age because as time goes on, the jokes lose their freshness. They're used other places, and so it's tough to know where something was used first, and at some point it doesn't even matter because you've heard it a million times somewhere. This was dated when it hit the screen in 1991. Yeah. I'm just confused why people love this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Let but, us know in the comments, I guess. If, yeah, like, someone's going to be like, we're fuck not you, this is my favorite this. movie as well, and oh, you, there's, you yeah. fucking suck. But, Honestly, most of the comments we get on things is like negative and telling us that we're wrong about the bad reviews. Yeah, they're usually like, this is my favorite movie, how dare you shit on A Kiss Before Dying. Right. <laughs> Like, like I'm you just s- don't understand a talent for the game. Like, oh, we got it. I mean, I got it. I know yeah. what the movie's about. I just, it was really dumb. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't care. It wasn't entertaining. Yeah. This, I mean, like, honestly, like, Hudson Hawk, I understood where the atta- entertainment value I would understand Hudson Hawk. Like, people finding that as their favorite movie as a kid because yeah. maybe if if i did watch that when i was younger i would have probably really liked it and then and there's like quirkiness to it yeah yeah this yeah i don't know uh-uh. <laughs> okay well. disagree with that review respectfully disagree speaking of rankings and ratings where on your one to five star scale are you going to put oscar I'm giving this a one. A one. Yeah, on my zero to four star scale, the only thing that keeps it from going below a one into like half star territory is that, honestly, enough of the performances were really good, even though the material is crap. And two, everything surrounding it in terms of like production value and design is really well done. So... It wasn't slapped together. There was obviously, like, thought into everything. But it just... The pacing is bad. Like, you need to tighten up that editing, for one. And just fine-tune that script. So it's a one out of four for me. Every movie's worth watching once. Would you watch this again? No. No, I would have no interest in seeing this again. I'm curious about the French one, to a degree... Just because, like I said, I saw like some more physical comedy, people falling downstairs and stuff. I'm like, how does, you know... I want, I, I'm curious about the different approach yeah, to the material. Yeah, I don't know why there was no falling down the stairs and like no one wanted to do anything like that. Everyone's like in suits and stuff. But... You'd probably get like a lot of ripped clothes. That they'd have I mean, to... wouldn't that be funny though? Because he'd be like, oh man, like he he's going to be meeting these important bankers... 
and it's all about him getting a good suit. Wouldn't it be funny if he like fell down and fucked up his suit, and then they gotta make him a new suit in like five minutes, or something like that? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Long story short, no, I would not watch this again. This is not a thing for me. If you out there do want to watch Oscar as of this recording in March of 2023, it's available on Hoopla, digital rental, VHS, or DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991 movie at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, and YouTube. Just search 1991 Movie Rewind or go to 1991MovieRewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing with the Razzie-nominated movies, and we're watching Madonna, Truth, or Dare. Uh, I actually didn't write down what that's on. <laughs> so that's, It's on VHS. Or we have the VHS copy, we, we so have I forgot VHS to write down what DVD. else it's on. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know check what your else local, is. Check your, check your internet. <laughs> we'll see you then. Okay, thanks.